You're listening to Coldo D. Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Our services are every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. For more information, like us on Facebook or visit our website at coldod.org. Let's go to Genesis chapter 18, if you would. Turn there in the Parsha. Gosh, who were these three guys? And what a beautiful show, a display of hospitality that Abraham shows. Oh, yes. Lord, we pray. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law, we pray. Speak to us through your word, we pray. Amen. Amen. Who were these, uh, these three? Because um, <clears throat> they're different pronouns. Yes, uh, Adonai. Let's say Adonai back up there. Adonai or Hashem, the substitute for yud Hey vav Hey. We don't know how uh, God's name is pronounced the tetragrammaton, technical term. We don't know, but it says that he appeared. yod it's not necessarily Yahweh or Yahweh. We don't know. It wasn't Jehovah. We know that because no J in Hebrew, folks. Uh, you know that uh, a lot happened through <clears throat> trying to anglicize. You know that Luther said he wanted to, he strove to make Jesus so German that, um, that he wouldn't be recognized as a Jew anymore. Isn't that sad? Uh, I read that quote somewhere this morning. And, um, you know, uh, but anyway, we don't know the name of how so, so many substitute Hashem or Adonai. Uh, TLV substitutes Adonai, so we'll usually read it that way. Uh, I grew up in the reform movement, and we, you know, really just said Adonai or the Lord. Um, but if you're writing it out, you might put L-R-D or G-D for God, Elohim. But, uh, well, when it's God's name... Um, but anyway, he appeared, the Lord, he knows his name, and he knows how we can address him. And there's many names God has, of course, but the Lord appeared to him at Mamre. So this is the Lord. I want you to see the pronouns here, the subject, the, 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 the pronouns being used, or the subject speaking to Abraham and Sarah. Remember, this is after Abraham has been circumcised at uh, I don't recommend that at 90, what is it, 99 years old? <laughs> um, but uh, so, so some commentaries have him that he's, you know, really, God wanted to visit with him. He's in healing now. He's still uh, not getting around too well. And the Lord appears to him. And notice the pronouns. But the, we'll notice those. But verse 2, when he lifted up his eyes to see, suddenly... And the word hine is there, hine, which is suddenly, it's behold, uh, and, or, and suddenly, or uh, could be translated, and look, you know, and three men, shloshim, uh, shlosha, rather, anashim, shlosha, anashim, three men were standing right by him. Now, Rashi, or famous rabbi, you know, he says th- these were three angels, three angels, but it clearly says here, and we know that there were two angels that went down to uh, Sodom, that we read in verse, chapter 19, verse 1, and it says, Abraham stood yet before the Lord, and this is where his intercession goes on between he and God over Sodom. So the third is not there. The third stays with Abraham and says, it's the Lord. But who were these three men here? Okay, you can show. I always show these slides. That's who they were. I, I got a, found a picture of them. Groucho, Chico, and Harpo. 
<laughs> They're my favorite. And then, of course, <laughs> Larry Curley. What is it? Mo Larry? Yeah, I did. I watched more of the others, the other movies. But anyway, all Jews, by the way. Um, and I think Rabbi Michael Wolf mentioned that one of the Three Stooges, uh, in his on his deathbed, prayed to receive Yeshua, that there's some story about him coming to faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. So I'll have to get, read that someday. But <clears throat> Rashi says three angels, Michael, he says they were Michael, Michael, Gabriel, Gabriel, and Raphael, Raphael. Uh, but it says, again, the Lord appears in verse one, notice. Verse five, there's three men, and that is, let's go uh, say that phrase, the three men. Shasha uh, Anashim mentions, and then it mentions they are speaking. So down in verse nine, so he shows hospitality, which is a very important trait in biblical uh, to God to show hospitality. Yeah, there I have the words for you there in Greek: the philos and xenox, uh, the love of strangers. Literally, is what the what the word hospitality comes from. And the scripture says in the Torah, love the stranger, show hospitality. God's going to honor that. He'll bless that, and it's important. Uh, you never know. You know, there's actually a, just remembering a, uh, the Lamed Vavnik. There's a, there's a tradition in the Talmud somewhere that mentions that there are always 36 righteous people throughout the world, and you never know who they might be. So, so always show hospitality because it might be someone, one of these very special uh, people. But God says show, show compassion, show hospitality toward those in need. Um, <clears throat> and so they rushed to get a non-kosher, help treat them to a non-kosher meal. Did you ever, I don't know if you ever noticed that, but milk and meat served together here. Now there's also a dancing around that that the rabbis do to say, show how it really wasn't uh, wrong. But this is where, again, separation of milk and meat in modern day Judaism is not, I don't see it as a biblical custom. I think it's extra biblical, post-biblical. So, um, but they served them, they killed a young ox, milk, butter, took butter and milk and the young ox in verse eight and prepared and set it before them while he was standing with them, by them under the tree and they ate. Verse uh, nine, they said to him, so here's the three men, remember that appeared, three men, verse two, and here they, uh, they again, verse five, he says, uh, yeah, they said, do just as you've said, verse 5. And now they said in verse 9, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, there in the tent, he said. And then he said, this, who is he speaking? I will most surely return to you in about a year's time. Surprisingly, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So who's he speaking? Obviously, God, right? So is God one of these three? Well, it's in the context, it sure seems like it. He says, I will most assuredly return and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. And in verse 10, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah had stopped having the way of women. So she's, I guess you'd say, uh, uh, post-menopausal, right? Um, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I've grown decrepit, I know it's a strange translation here, can I have desire 
and my Lord so old? And so Adonai says to Sarah, why is it that Sarah left? He tells Abraham, bothers Abraham about it. Um, why did Sarah laugh? So here's God again, identified clearly. Hashem, the Lord, said to Abraham, why is it that Sarah left, saying, can I really give birth when I'm so old? And then this amazing phrase is, anything too difficult for the Lord, for Adonai. Is anything too difficult for God? At the appointed time, I hear, again, God speaking, I will return in about a year and Sarah will have a son. And I, I, it's so funny, verse 15, Sarah denied it saying, I didn't laugh for she was afraid, but he said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> so a little argument with God there. So <laughs> I didn't, I did, she was afraid. Um, Abraham laughed, by the way, earlier in verse chapter 17, 17, when he was told by God that they'd have, so he was he was the first one that really didn't believe there, didn't trust God there, and, and laughed at it. But a little humor in the, in the word of God, I see it very clearly. So let's look at it again more closely. I have a slide of this. It says, uh, Hashem, the Lord appears to Abraham. All right, there you go. And then the three men, that's 18.1, then the three men, Shlosha and Hashim, stood over him. Then the men went toward Sodom, but Abraham would remain standing before the Lord. Verse 22, then the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham was still standing before the Lord. So did the three men go and Abraham is still standing before the Lord? Well, what's interesting is, again, in verse uh, 19.1, now the two angels the two Malachim came to Sodom in the evening while Lot was sitting in the gate. And again, verse 33 of chapter 18, the verse just prior to that, remember the division of chapters came much later than, it's not in the original, it's, and, and uh, says that he finished speaking to Abraham, he, Adonai, Hashem, left, and Abraham returned to his place. So, it seems very clearly an amazing picture of the God-man, doesn't it? Of Yeshua, of the, 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 the one who is El Gabor. In Isaiah 9, 5 or 6, he's El Gabor, he's the God-man. El Gabor is one of his titles, his name shall be called, uh, and it says, Wonderful Counselor, you know, Peleo Etz, and Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Is Mighty God translated, can also be uh, the God-man. I translate it that way. Uh, so in 9.6. And so this is the next slide, if you would, please. The next one goes to, uh, here's theophanies, what we call many theophanies or Christophanies, theologically we call them, uh, occurring throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the pre-incarnate appearances of Yeshua, the Messiah. These are many I listed for you where the Lord appeared and it, and of course the last one, that beautiful one of uh, Bruce reminded, said something about this morning, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as Christians often call them by that name. But there, there, are, they, there is a fourth man in the furnace. Remember that? They say, I see one, a fourth one. Uh, was it Nebuchadnezzar? He saw it, a fourth one. He's like the son of the gods, the son of the gods. And it was, we believe, the Messiah. Nothing happened to him. So back to verse 14. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord. Go to, there we go. Um, that's what God says. Is there anything 
too difficult. And I ask you that question. I ask myself that question. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Well, we know there's not. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, Jeremiah 32, I think it's 17 and 27, he says, I am the Lord, there's nothing too difficult for me, nothing too hard for, for the Lord, nothing too difficult. Uh, it, but I love the translation also, remember this, and this is something I, I've worked on myself, not something I've read anywhere, but it, because the word pela means to diverge from the norm. It means to diverge from the norm, but it's just three words in Hebrew, what God says here, and I, you could also translate it, so the extraordinary word of Adonai. The extraordinary word from the Lord. Nothing too hard for the Lord. It's ha-hai-pele madonai devar. Nothing too hard is nothing, the extraordinary word of the Lord. So God can do anything. But in this next chapter, this next, not, sorry, this next, next section, we see that God doesn't always do what we ask him to do. I repeat, God doesn't always do what we ask him to do. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask, but it means that his will might be beyond our will, right? Yochanan uh, says, 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he does it. But it might not be according to his will will, right? So let's look at this next section, verses 16 through 33, and here we have this powerful passage of Abraham standing in the gap. Ezekiel 22, uh, 22, let's see, it says, it says, I looked for a man, Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. 30, I looked for one who would stand in the gap, the wall before me, and I didn't find anyone. Couldn't find anyone to stand in the breach to stop the judgment from coming. Reminding me of a story of a great famous sage and leader, rabbi, and he is with his disciples, and someone keeps interrupting him on the side when he's speaking to his disciples, and someone keeps interrupting him. He's outside in an area and, and keeps trying to make fun of him and mock him, and, and finally he says, says, he gets mad, he says, may this wall collapse upon you and, 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 stop, and stop you from doing this. And one of the disciples says, but rabbi, if that wall collapses, it's going to hurt other people as well. And so the rabbi says, all right, may that wall not collapse on you. And the disciples said, it's amazing, a miracle, the wall didn't collapse. Those are the kind of miracles <laughs> <laughs> so they knew he could perform miracles. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, just thought of that one. So. All right. So what's important here, one thing I really get out of it is, let's read it. Verse 16 says, Then the men got up, got up from there and looked down over Saddam, and Abraham is walking, and God says, Should I keep secret from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham will most certainly become a great, should I, I'm going to, I can't hide from what I'm about to do, and this is in terms of judgment coming on, on uh, wicked Sodom, on their, because of their sin, their iniquity. You know, it says in the end, of, in this interesting verse in, uh, let's see if I can find it, I know I wrote it down here, um, 
Ezekiel, yeah, 16:49. It says, "We know their their sin was horrible. We know uh, their 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 immorality. Their I don't know the word, um, but just the wickedness of their their sin was horrible. I mean, they wanted to rape the two angels." And Lot rescues them from that, bringing them aside. This, and it says from young to old that they, this is what they wanted to do. So they were, they were really horrible people. And yet it says, God says this, the sin that he really saw in Ezekiel 16, 49 says there, this was the sin of the iniquity of Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. I'll repeat, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. So they were self-sufficient. They didn't have a need. They were so arrogant as a result, and they were arrogant and indifferent toward those who had needs, toward others who had needs. Abundance of idleness, caring only about themselves. And I think, wasn't this also Lucifer's sin? In certain ways, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, he Maybe these were his sin, this was his iniquity as well, where he caused him to fall from heaven and take one-third of the angels with him, it says in Revelation 12, 9, remember? So, but this was, God is going to judge them, and he says, should I hide from Abraham? This is, the judgment's going to come, and Sodom is mentioned so many times, Sodom and Gomorrah, in the scriptures. I think there's about 30 other mentionings of it. God's always looking back on that, saying, remember what happened at Sodom. But What's important is there's a principle here of what we can call negotiating with God. Think about it. Negotiating with God. Reasoning with God. Abraham is not passive. He's not indifferent. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, that's it. I guess there's nothing I can do. Que sera, sera. You know, um, but rather, there's this idea of moving towards God and making our case rather than just turning away and being indifferent moving away from him, right? Uh, Isaiah 8, 118, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. God's word for Israel, remember, through Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together. God says, I want you to pray. I want you to argue with me. I want you to make your case. I want you to be active, not to just to be proactive, not to be passive. And the word here is yachach. I don't have it to show you, but yachach means to reason together. It means to admonish, to convince, to argue, to judge, to prove. Isaiah 41, verse 21, God says, present your case, says the Lord. And uh, he says, bring forth your reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let me say it again. Present your case, says Adonai. Bring forth your reasons, says the king of Jacob. Wow, God's invitation, God's challenge to us. The words there in, in, is karav and reev, there, present your case, it means Come near, draw near, and literally conflict. <laughs> Reeve is to really kind of like disagree, to have conflict, to disagree. Can you believe it? God saying that? Sometimes Christians' prayers are so boring, right? And so believers so, like, to, yeah, well, I just need to pray. I, I don't want to say anything out of, out of bounds. 
hey, maybe you should. And maybe that's how God, will, God may correct it, but that's okay. He wants us to be active, right? Um, what was I just thinking of? But anyway, it's, it's uh, it, you know, oh, uh, I don't know what I was going to say. Mention, um, anyway, <laughs> don't, you know, God doesn't want bland, to us to be bland, but the, the, to be, uh, you know, the word also means to approach, oh yeah, the, to approach strongly with evidence. Um, Michael Lewandowski, I'm sorry, Michael, I'm going to pick on you, but he, he, if you eat with him, you better have spices ready and hot sauce, and because this guy pours it on, all the different hot sauce on his food, and then he's eating it, you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> I like hot sauce too, but he can take it a lot more than I. We love hot. My wife makes the best hot sauce, by the way, when she makes unbelievable. It's the best, really. Peruvian hot sauce. It's carrots. It's orange. It's not your red sauce. It's really amazing. But anyway, that's the way our prayer should be. Seasoned, spicy, right? Uh, and not bland. And we're not only to reason with God, but we also are to reason with people. Uh, Paul says, in, it says of Paul, rather, Acts 17, 2, as was his custom, Paul went, in, went to the Jewish people, and for three Shabbatot, for three Sabbaths, he debated the scriptures with them reasoned with them from the scriptures, depending on how you want to translate. He debated. The word is uh, dialegomai, dialegomai in, he, in Greek, dialegomai, and it means to think different things, to dispute and to question. Again, in Acts 18.4, another example, he was debating every Shabbat, same word, dialegomai, debating every Shabbat, in the synagogue, trying to persuade both Jewish and Greek people. So why do we do that? Because we care about people. We don't want them to perish. We don't want them to go to hell. We want them to go to heaven. We want them to find eternal life, right? So it's worth taking the scriptures and debating and doing whatever it takes, right? So this is important. Uh, Abraham cares about Sodom. Avram, at this point, not Avraham yet, but he cares about Sodom. And why? Because he, like God, has a heart of mercy. Now, how bad were they? Well, we already mentioned the worst, the worst morally. And again, in 19, 4 and 5, is what it, the verses 4 and 5 is what I mentioned, how they treated the angels visiting men, young and old, it says, in their, and wanting how they wanted to treat them. And these were the actually angels, as we know. And yet, Abraham intercedes for them. He does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Like it says, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made on behalf of some people. Did I quote that right? All people. All people. For kings, for uh, the president that you like or, or dislike, <laughs> for kings and for all who are in authority, period, all. So we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and respectfulness. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with our election. I don't know. I don't, I've, ha I've wanted to block myself from the news so much because it's going to, whatever, when it told the decisions are made. But you know what? The Roman rulers that Paul's talking about, 
they were really nice rulers, right? They were so great, such great people, and they, they had such moral values. They said, what does the Bible say so we can follow, teach? Not at all. Far from it. Far from it. But we're still to pray for the rulers. And he says, so that we can lead a peaceable and quiet life. Uh, anyways, to have, hopefully, not have be persecuted, but for our faith. And if we are, we are, right? But he desires all men, not some men, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. First Timothy 2, 4. Second Peter 3, 9. He is patient for you, not willing that any should perish, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance, to a return, to turning to God. So let me ask a, pers- a question, a couple personal questions for us in applying this. Let me ask this. Do we want our enemies or those who have wronged us to be judged by God? Do I want my enemies, my enemy, someone who has hurt me, who has wronged me, treated me the wrong way, who has done harm to me, is my desire, get them, God. Teach them a lesson, God. Show them. Show them. Is my attitude more like Jonah or Abraham? Jonah or Abraham, right? What did Jonah want for Nineveh? Get him, God, right? Get him, get him. And there is reason, again, uh, you know, there was reason. The, I mean, I read once that the Ninevites would take their chariot wheels and roll, run over the heads of their victims, you know? And, uh, and I mean, there was reason, but God has the heart of stool, of mercy. Yes, he's a judge, and he will judge, but his desire, his desire is for all to come to repentance, and so that's what we pray for. <clears throat> As my attitude, rather show them they're wrong and make them pay, and uh, it doesn't mean God won't vindicate us when we've been wronged. He will. God will vindicate but we don't want our hearts, hello, we don't want our hearts to be vindictive. That's God's business and his prerogative. Yeshua said, some of the translations take this out, I, I don't know what's the correct, whether it's correct or not, but I love it. In Luke 9, 55, 56, the disciples wanting to call fire down on the Samaritan village for not receiving Yeshua when he was headed toward Jerusalem and they, and they said, well, let's call fire down on them. And he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of for the son of man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. How do we feel toward those who differ from us politically? Do we despise the other side? Do we despise Republicans as naive and myopic? or Democrats as evil and misguided. Each side is convinced that the other side is blind and biased and wrong. And depending on what, if you watch one of the networks, you'll absolutely become polarized completely in one direction or the other. It's, it's horrible. Do we demonize the opposing side and desire their demise? Hatred is not holy unless it's towards evil. We should hate the corruption on both sides. Shouldn't we? 
it's not on one side or the other as far as corruption goes. That doesn't mean have your convictions about, and your positions up. Of course you should. But don't let, that, don't let the enemy use that to make you hate, hateful toward people. And believe me, uh, we're not seeing, none of us see everything as it really is. And uh, we, no way. So Abraham, what an example he has here of not quitting and a question I have for each of us. Do we get weary and quit too soon? Did he quit too soon? Did Abraham stop too soon in his prayers? Because he started with negotiating with God and he gets them down, to, starts at how many? Remember? Right, 50. It's verse, uh, where is verse 50? Yes, verse 24. There it is, I think. He says, uh, the men turned from there, went down, saw Abraham is still standing for the Lord. Abraham drew near, that's Nagash. By the way, that word Nagash is an amazing word. He drew near, back it up somewhere, I think. He drew near to God. There we go, Nagash. It means to approach, but approach for battle. It's the word used for approaching for battle. He approached to do battle with God. And what an amazing, that's what prayer is, intercession. It's battle, battle against the enemy and battle with God in a certain way as well, you know? And uh, because he wants us to. And he says, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Thinking Lot's righteous. He Lot did do some good things. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and actually the, in the New Testament mentions righteous Lot. We look at his account here, and we say righteous Lot, but the new Peter call says righteous Lot. I think it's Peter. And he did show, I believe, hospitality. He did rescue those two men, right? And, but maybe Abraham thought his whole household was right. We don't know. There's all sorts of this whole household, and so God would. But anyway, he says, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will, the, will you really sweep away and spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Oh, my goodness. So he's saying, the, the, will you really is ha'af. And ha'af is an interesting word. Af is the word for nose in anatomy. If you, read, if you take Olpan, you learn Hebrew in Israel, is the nose. And it's also the word for anger. Some maybe, maybe the roots has to do with, um, this is not a joke, but like if you... Oh, I can't do it. I don't make a mess here. But like a horse snorting, you know, you're angry. When you're angry, you go, like, so there's something like that. But, uh, but maybe the idea, they say, you're putting your nose into God's business here. Will you really? And the word suppose, ulai, let's say ulai. Ulai, you hear that a lot in Israel if you go to Israel. Ulai, maybe, perhaps. That's what it means. Comes right from here. Will you really suppose? Suppose, and I think it's mentioned five times or so. Far be it. Then he says, "Far be it from you, Khalila lecha, Khalila, Khalila lecha." And he says, "This shall the judge of the whole world not exercise justice? Suppose, will you? Perhaps." In verses twenty-eight through thirty-two, I think I wrote it down here. Yeah, perhaps uh, Abraham. Uh, 12 admonitions, I counted them, 12, 10 questions from Abraham to God. Ulai, six times Ulai. And maybe one more, if he'd just done one more. 
Six replies from God to Abraham. He was prepared to reply if Abraham, one, this one idea is, was he prepared to, to reply to Abraham if he'd not continued and stopped? Because Abraham stops at how many people? 10, 10 righteous people. Yes, he says, if there are 10, will you, look, look at it toward the uh, 32, thanks. Then he said, please let my Lord be angry so I may speak once more. And the Hebrew word for is achapaam, achapaam. Surely, it means one more time, but one more time, just one more time. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, perhaps 10 will be found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it for the sake of 10. And now when he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord left and Abraham returned to his place. That was it. Decided. Case has been made. Now the, the judgment will be decided. Did Abraham limit were his own prayers? Did he limit his own prayers? Did he limit God? by saying 10, would he think that was enough? That Lot and his family and maybe some others would be enough to save. And if he'd only gone further, maybe God would have spared. That's an interesting thought and that's the way I've thought of it before. And perhaps if we just prayed a little more on something, you know, the Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary while doing good in due season we'll reap if we don't faint, right? We get weary in it. Or Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, don't cast away your confidence as great reward for you have need of endurance, steadfastness, endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So only just a little more. Or 6, 11 and 12 of Hebrews, show the same diligence we desire. Show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end so you don't become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I like that, 6.12. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Faith and patience or endurance, we inherit the promise. So maybe um, a little more. Men ought always to pray and not faint, not lose heart, not give up. In Luke 18.1, Yeshua said. So maybe that's what happened. But let me pose to you something different this morning. Maybe, maybe it was not in God's plan to really save Sodom and Gomorrah at all. Maybe, maybe that wasn't his purpose. Would any amount of prayer prevail? Let's ask this, would any more sweat that were like drops of blood of our Messiah in Gan Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, would any more have saved him from the, his hour of trial? What about a longer prayer? What about staying longer, him staying longer face down on the ground? He did go face down on the ground. Let me ask this question. Does God answer every prayer? Because that's really what we're looking at. Does God answer every prayer? Was Abraham unsuccessful, as many believe and would teach, 
in his intercession? Or did God have another plan? I want to say today, and this is my opinion, we can have different opinions on this, this is what I've come to believe at this point, some of our prayers are not intended to be answered. Let me explain. At least not on this side of eternity. Does God hear our prayers? Absolutely. Will he answer in the sense, yes, in the sense he he, answer, he answers, but not in the way that we want him to answer. And in that sense, he doesn't answer, again, in human language, the way we, because it's the way we thought. <laughs> Listen to these verses in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. When the Lamb opened the fifth seal, this is in John's vision, he says, I saw under the altar the souls of those slaughtered for the sake of the word of God and for the witness that they had. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, O sovereign master, holy and true, how long, how long before you judge those who dwell on the earth and avenge our blood? These are martyrs. Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants was complete, their brothers and sisters who were to be killed as they had been. Hebrews 11, verses 13 and 39 say this. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Let me repeat it, and I have it on a screen, this slide. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. And all these, verse 39, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Have you ever read that? They died in faith, not having received the promises. Had a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. So you say, are the promises invalid then? Are God's promises not to be believed? No, they are to be. Of course they're true but not necessarily in the way that we, or the timing we expect them to or want them to be. Let's look at Hebrews 11 and we close there. Hebrews 11. In what is called in that slide just had like the hall of, I think it's a hall of faith. Amazing. But let's look, just read verse 28, from verse 28 on. The faith chapter mentions all, goes through this amazing history. I don't, can't tell you how many times I've gone back to this chapter and love the catalog of the faithful that are recorded here. That, but verse 28 we're going to look at. By faith, Moses, verse 27, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. By faith, 28, he kept the Passover and the smearing of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch them. So a miracle, God's hand, remember the, on Passover that we remember every year and keep every year that our, at our Seder, we retell, retell the story for our children and, and uh, see how God saved them miraculously from judgment in Egypt. 
By faith, they, were, they passed through, so then they leave Egypt. Our ancestors left Egypt and go through the Red Sea on dry ground. Is that a miracle or what? The seas parted in dry ground, and the Egyptians tried, and what happened to them? They were swallowed up, right? Just like that beautiful movie, The Ten Commandments, you see it. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were circled for seven days. Shofar's blowing, right? By faith, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she welcomed the spies with shalom. Verse 32, and what more shall, we, shall I say, the writer says, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Barak, Samson, uh, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, by faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. Who was that? Daniel, right. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and made foreign armies flee. Oh my gosh. Oh, we read, we've read so much this past year in First and Second Samuel and seen how that happened with David. Women received their dead, raised back to life. God can do anything. He's a God of miracles. He's a God that nothing is too hard for him. But look at the rest of that verse, 35. And others were tortured after not accepting release so they might obtain a better resurrection. Others, verse 36, experienced the trial of mocking and scourging. Yes, and even chains and prison. Oh, if Paul had only had more faith, he would have gotten out of prison. What, what, what was such a lack of faith, right? Of course not. We wouldn't even think that. But yet, that's the way it could have looked. Paul said, no, it's my advantage. I mean, I, God is using this. Others experienced the trial of mock. Okay, verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawn in two, sawn in two. They were murdered with the sword. So some escaped the edge of the sword in verse 34, but here in verse 37, others were murdered with the, with the sword. They, were, they went around in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Oh, look at verse 38. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered about in deserts and mountains, caves and holes in the ground. And all these, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Well, others in verse 33 obtained promises. These did not receive what was promised. Why? Because God had provided something better for us so that only with us they would be they would reach perfection. I don't know if I can explain that, but I would say this. If we if we pray enough, can we avert death? Can we live forever in these bodies? No. <laughs> we some think they can. I I know believers that are so lopsided in their view of that that they, they're convinced that they're claiming the promises of God and they're going to live forever in these bodies. Sorry. That's what we have, why we have a resurrection. But, but, uh, but does that mean God can't heal a body? No, he can and he does. And then we'll pray that way and we'll ask him to. But 
It's not a matter of praying, always praying long enough or claiming the correct promises. We are strangers and sojourners on the earth. Hebrews verse 13, 11, 13. We have another homeland, it says in verse 14, a heavenly one. In verse 15, and God has prepared for us a city, verse 16 says. Indeed, God has provided something better for us, verse 40. And here we have no lasting city, but we seek the one that is to come, Hebrews 13, 14. Aren't you glad for that? Everything ultimately depends upon the will and purpose of God in our lives. He gives and he takes. He gives and he takes, Job 1.21, as Job said. He causes death and he makes alive, 1 Samuel 2.6. That's what it says. He causes death and he makes alive, 1 Samuel 2, verse 6. So is anything too difficult for the Lord? Absolutely not. The extraordinary word of the Lord. God is in charge and God can do anything and he will do. So we don't give up. We continue to pray. We're like Abraham. We stand in the gap. But at some point, ultimately, God's will prevails. And that doesn't mean a lack of faith. That doesn't mean you didn't, did something wrong. That means God knows what's best. Amen? He knows what's best. And so thank you, Lord, for nothing is too hard for you. Thank you, Lord, that we can learn from Abraham's example and his standing with you, standing before you and negotiating with you and taking on. And we thank you, Lord, that you will do mighty and wonderful things which we don't even know yet, Lord. And we will never, Father, judge others by, for a lack of faith by the results, Lord or ourselves for that, God. We will trust you. We will continue to put our faith in you, to trust you and know that you are God. There's none other. Guard our hearts from bitterness, from ever getting or wanting or being vindictive, Lord. May our hearts be filled with your love and your desire to see all come to salvation, all come back to you and and we, we thank you, Lord. We bless your name. We thank you. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to have the benediction, and then Jeff is going to share uh, briefly a few uh, announcements and offering. And we thank you, Lord. We sang a song beautifully before that Rachel led us in earlier, and we, we bless you, Lord. Yivrechecha Adonai v'yishmorecha Ya'er Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panave lecha v'yasem lecha shalom B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach Sar HaShalom the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the ruler of peace. Amen. Amen.